0: When I was at ESPN, I had an opportunity where they literally sent out an email and they asked the employees, they were like, hey, is anybody interested in going over to this new thing that we're launching called ESPN.com on this thing called the World Wide Web? Like literally, it was like, raise your hand. And the funniest part is I asked my two bosses at the time and they were like, oh, no, no, television is where it's
1: at. Hey, everybody, it's Jason Patria and you are listening to the lead with your brand podcast, which is the show for people just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, we've got an amazing show for you this week. I've got a fabulous guest. It is James LaVallee, who is the vice president of global marketing at the trade desk. But before we get to James, I want to give a big shout out because Because it is Black History Month, and we are celebrating at the Lead With Your Brand podcast by launching a new page called Black Voices, where we are amplifying and celebrating the voices of amazing executives, leaders, and innovators who just happen to be Black. Check us out at leadwithyourbrand.com slash Black Voices to see the full page with all of our amazing guests over the past three seasons. But before we get to our guest James, I want to talk a little bit about being on stage. That's right. You heard me. In your career, you're always on stage. Now, I know that it is easy for us to think about being on stage and off stage, but the reality is, is people are looking at you all of the time. You're constantly leading with your brand. Now, you know, I am obsessed with the Olympics, and I have been watching the opening, the closing, the figure skating, the skiing, the half pipe, all of these sports. And it just reminds me of the fact that we're always on stage. It breaks my heart to see these amazing athletes walk off of the skating rink or the slope and completely turn into another person. Now, I know we have seen that time and time again, but it is such a perfect example that we're always on stage. You can have a beautiful skate. You can have an amazing Ski, But if you get off and suddenly you're yelling at people or you're frowning or you're making faces or you're having an argument with your coach, or even if you're one of those coaches that's smiling in the kiss and cry and then you chew out your athlete there, guess what? that becomes your brand. It's not just what happens when we're on stage. So think for yourself. I know none of us are Olympic champions being out there on the world stage, being covered by international media, but think about it. It's easy for us to get in front of a boardroom and do a presentation. We know that we're on, but guess what? They're watching you before you present. They're watching you when you walk to the restroom, when you leave, when you interact with the security guard there, you're always on stage. Now I will share a fun or interesting little story that I think about in my career. You know, about 20 years ago, when General Electric had bought Universal and created NBC Universal, I had the opportunity for this stretch assignment that I volunteered for to help really create one of these great big GE meetings for one of their employee resource groups. And I was going on All cylinders. I was bringing my brand filter to make this a signature project. I was a showman. I was getting up on stage and hosting and interviewing people and being the ringmaster and host there. I was being a super connector. I had leveraged all of my contacts across the industry and the organization to get the best speakers to fly into this meeting in Chicago and take time out of their day. And I was curating and helping people network. I was being a storyteller by telling my own story and interviewing other executives about theirs. I was being a first mover by helping create this first meeting for this employee resource group. I felt like this was a great opportunity for me to showcase my brand. And I was talking to the executive sponsors of it and they came up to me and it was after the first day and it was going so great and they loved it. And they talked about, you know, tomorrow we're going to give out some awards for this group. And I smartly said, well, after today's meeting, I guess I should be getting one of those awards. And I looked at their faces and the energy just dropped. And right then and there, I realized, wow, I just made an off stage blunder, right? In that moment when I'm trying to be a great showman, I actually crossed the line into one of my headwinds, which was being a braggart. Well, you know what? The next day at the end of the meeting, they gave out awards and then they gave out a last award and they gave one to me and my heart sunk. I was so proud and so excited, but I realized the night before in that moment I had totally blown it. I had shown a part of a brand that wasn't what was meant to be on stage, but it made me realize it didn't matter if there weren't 200 people watching me. There were two people that were important to my career right there that saw me and heard directly from me, and I was on stage. So think for yourself, how is it that you're monitoring yourself and making sure that you show up on brand even when you're not on stage? Well, we've got an amazing guest for you today. It is James Lavallee, who is the Vice President of Global Marketing at The Trade Desk. James runs a team responsible for increasing global awareness and for positioning The Trade Desk as the programmatic leader and trusted partner for clients in the advertising ecosystem. Now, James has over 20 years of experience in advertising sales marketing. And prior to The Trade Desk, he was the Vice President of Integrated Marketing Solutions for Effective TV, which is the advertising sales division of Comcast Cable. He also worked at NBC Universal, overseeing the ad sales trade marketing efforts for NBC, USA, Sci Fi, the WWE, and Chiller Networks, and has also worked for Discovery Communications, VH1, and ESPN. We'll be back in just a few moments with James
2: Lavallee. And
1: we are back. I am here with an awesome guest today. It is James LaVallee, the Vice President of Global Marketing at the Trade Desk. James, what's going on?
0: Nothing much. How are you? Thank you so much for having me.
1: Of course, I am fabulous. I've been dying to have you on the show. So, James, let's jump right in. When you first meet people, and I know you are in the marketing and sales business, how is it that you introduce who you are and what it is that you do?
0: <laughs> it depends. I mean, my family after 25 years in the business still have no idea what I do. So they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're still waiting to see me on camera somehow, no matter how many times I told them I'm far behind the camera <laughs> yeah. and I, I definitely have a face for radio. So I think, uh, you know, that, that's one thing, but yeah, I mean, usually advertising and sales is is where I kind of stand. And then depending on the, the future questions that they might ask, I kind of elaborate a little bit more, but when I was on the network side for the majority of my career, I would definitely say, you know, ad sales marketing and ad sales, you know, regardless. And then um, if they, of already know what the industry is then we can get into it a little bit more um and now that i'm in the ad tech space it's even more complicated
1: so (laughs) exactly so speaking of the ad tech space tell us what is new and exciting what are you working on over at the trade desk
0: oh man it is exciting i've been here since september um you know i had made the move when i was over at comcast Uh, internally, moving from NBCU to the cable side of Comcast, working at Effective most recently. And it was um, to work in the ad tech space. And I knew that programmatic advertising, audience targeting, attribution, all those fun buzzwords were the future of the the business. And I saw the opportunity, um, you know, just after being in the business for a number of years, um, at the trade desk and, you know, it was an easy move for me to come over here because they are kind of one of the, the leaders in the, um, the DSP side. So de- demand side platform of advertising and, uh, the programmatic space. And I think that, you know, for me, going to the top of the mountain and a, you know, business leader in a category leader was a very easy move to continue my, my career journey. Yeah. Um, you know, through the programmatic and ad tech space. So it was it's been a great move. I uh, I love it. Um, what I'm working on over here is really kind of first and foremost, continuing the education of programmatic in general and programmatic advertising and the efficacy there. And then, um, oh, by the way, there happens to be an amazing company called The Trade Desk that is really, really good at it. So. <laughs> That's, that's kind of, that's how I summarize my job, you know, because it's really B2B advertising. But that's, that's basically it in a nutshell, you know, making yeah. sure that people know who we are. But first and foremost, know what the heck we, you know, like the uh, whole programmatic space is.
1: Yeah. So for, for those of us lay people out there who, who only enjoy watching advertising, right, um, give us a sense of, of, of what does that programmatic uh, advertising or marketing actually mean?
0: So basically, it's a a way to optimize um, clients' advertising budgets using audience addressable targeting. But basically, it's an optimization of advertising to its fullest extent using uh, machine learning.
1: Yeah, so I mean it sounds like you're doing such cool stuff, but you have been in this in this space, right? You've been in the business for a long time. So when you think back over your career, what have been some of these big career breakthrough moments for you where you really felt like you got to the next level?
0: Yeah. I will tell you, sometimes, you know, you really do think back on your career and you think about when you went left instead of right and what <laughs> happened, you know, you, you do, the sliding doors, right? You try not to dwell on it, but you really do think about it. And it's funny because early on in my career, um, the start of my career at ESPN, I was lucky to, you know, get my foot in the door at that company at the time. And they were really the only sports network, you know, around there was, not yeah. Fox sports net hadn't even been launched yet, et cetera. And the funniest part is, it, and, and, I know people, you know, that they're like, well, you're not that old, but people don't remember how, you know, how recent things have been and how fast the industry has changed. Now, yeah. I'll give you a great example of that. When I was at ESPN, I had an opportunity where they literally sent out an email and they asked the employees, they were like, hey, is anybody interested in going over to this new thing that we're launching called ESPN.com on this thing called the World Wide Web? (laughs) Like literally- It was like, raise your hand. (laughs) And the funniest part is, I asked my two bosses at the time, and they were like, oh, no, no, television is where it's at. I think that that always stands out in my head in regards to career pathing, because I always think about had I gone right, you know, down that digital path um, and really leaned into it, um, what I would have been exposed to in that whole industry, because this is before the dot-com boom, and then that happened. So you would have kind of, the dot-com boom happened, and people were kind of scrambling but they didn't really know that much about the industry because they know not that many people were in it. So if you were in it from the early days and you heard about silly companies called Google and (laughs) Yahoo and you know what I mean? All these companies, nobody knew what they did or what they were about. You might've, you know, that might've led to a different career path. So I think that that was definitely, you know, a turning point career wise, but I think also um, early days as well, being lucky enough to work with two different i always think of my two original bosses um that i was an ea for they were like two different sides of the brain one was Mm. heavy accountant numbers guy you know they were both sales guys but they were both drastically different yeah and one was like heavy numbers guy and all that stuff and the other one was ultra creative like he had launched like opened up the y&r office in you know la and stuff like that so but they were both Unbelievable sellers, and when they partnered together, they would take me on these sales calls with them, just because I was, you know, 22 years old and didn't know anything. So they were like, "Why don't you come with us?" And it was literally like, you know, a dog and pony show. But it was like one guy would hit you with the numbers, the other guy was coming with the creative vision, and they would sell. You know, and we worked on the X Games, you know, early days of the X Games, and these things were what was then called, and it was uncharted territory, integrated ad sales marketing, which. Mm. Integrated, meaning that it had multiple channels, which was unheard of in television. When you were advertising on television and sponsoring a sports event, it was just on television. That's yeah. it. You probably had maybe in arena, you know, signage, but we had created this this whole thing that was like multi-channelled. And again, like I said, the World Wide Web was just launching, and so <laughs> there was a digital aspect, you know, on on the web. There was a print component, which back then we didn't have ESPN.com. We had, we had to do an insert in Rolling Stone, you know what I mean? So there was all these aspects of it and a live event with a roadshow that we, we would go on, you know, and have sponsors and stuff. And that really led me down a path career wise that showed me that, as a marketing person and as a sales marketing person, I could have a different conversation with clients at the time that I found was more honest, you mm-hmm. know, and, and truly, even though I had great examples of sales guys um, in my direct purview, honestly, for the most part at the time, a lot of the salespeople to me were almost like used car salesmen, right? Hey, yeah. I got this show to show, you know, sell all you. Slick. Yeah, all slick And And, you know, I didn't want to, go down that road because that, that was the example of sales. So a lot of people always ask me, like, why didn't you just become a salesperson? And I think that for me, early days, that was my example of what a salesperson was. Mm. And so therefore I liked the honest relationship and like more of the partnership relationship that we had as sales marketers with the client to talk about, you know what, you're going to be a part of this, Lee Jeans, you know, on the X Games Roadshow. Let's talk about how you can get people to your booth and your tent and and engage with them, etc. And I felt like it was a more honest um, you know, relationship to have with the client. So when I went from there to VH1 and, and kind of did the same things with uh, fun programs like Divas and Lift Ticket to Ride and, <laughs> you know, Rock Across America. So I basically... Career wise, I went from like being sports with the jocks and then being totally with the cool kids with music Yeah. Um, at VH1 at the time. And I always tell people, yes, I'm that old that VH1 actually did have music back then. They didn't have <laughs> Rock of Love and all the other shows. <laughs> so we, we actually were focused on music. But it was interesting because fast forward to today, I had a lot of interviews before I came to the trade desk. And it was interesting because a bunch of the interviews were for sales positions. And I was very confused because I was like, well, I'm not like your traditional seller, even though I have sold, you know, along with my, my sales counterparts. And they were like, yeah, you know, we're looking for people who are more partners, you know what I mean? Mm. And position themselves as a partnership sale. So it was funny that staying true, you know, to bring it all back, staying true to your brand and true to kind of what means something to you. It's funny how the industry kind of came around to having that, you know, honesty in the yeah. sales effort with clients. And that's what they're looking for. That, that kind of, you know, personal, um, you know, relationship, but it's, it's more consultative yeah. than just straight sales.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. And James, talk to me about when you really broke through into the executive ranks, you know, how did that happen?
0: I think it, 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 you know, it happened while I was at, um, discovery truthfully. And I think that it was an interesting progression because when I got there discovery had so many networks and I was in charge of, you know, a handful. And it's kind of hard to remember because literally while the the 12 years I was there, I swear to God, we, we launched like 14, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like, so I couldn't even remember.
1: Like in the heyday of fabulous entertainment, basic cable. Yeah.
0: We literally kept on just like, we would, we would, you know, close one down and relaunch one and all that stuff. So I think in the in the years that I was there, we we launched and had so many. But my point is, when I loved, I came from like you know I was a jock in in school and played sports and stuff, and I always loved the the competitive aspect of you know of sports. And I remember some alumni coming, and they all had you know been in the sports teams, and they were saying that in business, you could actually apply what you learned as you know, on the sports side to business in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways was, of course, being, you know, part of a team and being a good team member and supporting your team and stuff like that. But the other way they were saying from a competitive aspect, they found the same competitive spirit that they had in sports in business. Mm -hmm. And they loved being, you know, pitted is the wrong word but you know you being one of many so like if you were a sales assistant you were one of like 50 sales assistants so therefore there's everybody else is your competition yeah and and i always felt like i thrived in that type of environment mm. and so when i got to discovery i was one of the, you know, like the business um, managers for a certain amount of networks. So I was sitting there going, my networks are going to be number one and I'm going to (laughs) work with my sales team, you know, and support them the best I can and all that stuff. So I think that it was just, you know, a matter of putting my nose down and really grinding. But, you know, I kind of let, you know, my work speak for me. At that Mm. point where the sales leaders on those networks were like, no, James is doing an excellent job so that when it came an opportunity for that next level, you were on the short list of it because it was clearly you were better than, you know, your, your, your competition, as it were. So I think that that was really a turning point for me. And then, you know progress through there where I went from like a handful of networks to then my job completely shifting to all the networks um and (laughs) and so I was like kind of did the b2b um shift over there as well and then really it started becoming I was very unique in regards to what I did and so therefore that in and of itself being an expert at what you do was really a fast path for me to senior management. That's where I got my VP stripe, you know, over there. And, um, you know, I had a great team and and did some amazing work. But that's kind of where that pivot happened. You know what I mean? Where it was like, it, it was just all of a sudden you found this niche and you were like, wow, this is very unique to what I do. And at the time there wasn't a lot of B2B work in our industry on the network side. So it was, um, it was pretty unique and getting to work across all those brands was like you work for the same company, but you worked on a multitude of, Different opportunity you know different networks
1: yeah, so it sounds like your path was really like how do you demonstrate right on the field the field of mm-hmm. uh, of business in a way that you can get on that short list for the yeah. bench and then it was all about really specializing where you were like the go-to guy right
0: yeah yeah and, and it does go back to building your brand too because it, it goes back to you know what what tenants do you want people to to talk about and it's like my first day when I walked in at discovery, um, I walked in and we, we had a big meeting down in silver spring, Maryland. So I didn't even know where, you know, I had, my first day wasn't even in the physical office in New York. I had to go down on the train to, um, to DC. And I see the president of sales who I had not met, um, you know, cause I'm a manager at that point, you know, lower level, a junior person. And he's walking with, um, this SVP of sales. And all of a sudden, the SVP of sales looks up and he's like, James Lavelli. And I'm like, oh my God. And it was an SVP that I had worked with at ESPN. Now, mm. for those of you listening, this is before LinkedIn. So we didn't know where people went. You know what I mean? You kind of yeah. had to, it was harder to keep tabs on people. Yeah. So this is the crazy part. So he goes, he introduces me to Joe Aberze, one of the best, you know, salespeople in the business of all time who's our president of, of discovery. And he goes, Joe, you know who this is? This is James LaValle. We worked together at ESPN. He's a great guy, blah, 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 blah. And he starts just, you know, spitting all this great and positive stuff. Well come to find out he's only one out of like 11 people I worked with at ESPN and mm. all the people to a person were, were giving the same results you know, yeah. and the same feedback to the the, the higher, you know, muckety mucks who, who didn't really know me that well. And I swear that that actually propelled my career there. You know what I mean? And yeah. allowed me to stay because ultimately, at the end of it, I worked directly with Joe on building, you know, client, um client trips and those type of things. There's no way that would have happened had all those people not directly vouched for me immediately.
1: Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about how you would define your brand James. Give me three words that describe uh brand James Lavalle. <laughs> uh
0: committed. Um mm. 1000% committed to the people that work for me. Like I I say that to every single person who's on my team, I'm committed to you holistically as a person and not just the wonderful work that we're going to do together at this wonderful company, but I really do want them to succeed holistically. So I will always be open and honest with them Um, when they come to me with either an opportunity of another job or something that they were thinking about, et cetera. Look, I want somebody to work together forever, but ultimately if I believe that by leaving wherever we are and going to the next, um, place for this opportunity is going to, you know, in the long run, be more beneficial to you. Um, 1000%, you know, like have them go, you know, as hard as it is, you know, because again, I don't ever see my relationship with those people ending after the four walls that we work at. Mm. Um, so I would say committed is definitely one of them. Um, right on the heels of that, I would say is loyalty. Um, I 1000%, um, feel like you know when you're in business being loyal to people um you know versus being loyal to a company i always kind of you know it's always hard to say and it's no offense to any company that i've ever worked at yeah but you know having been laid off which i would highly recommend to everyone um having been laid (laughs) off before you know i think that it really gives perspective you know and you realize that Even in the scenario where I got laid off, I was, you know, it was a uh, last man in, first man out type of scenario where it was like a part of like 1,500 people back then um, at the company. So it wasn't even personal or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, like our team at that time was really small. You know what I mean? Like we were like scrappy. You know what I mean? And we were like a family, you know? And so, they were as broken up as I was. And truthfully, a lot of other people, because of the packages that we got at the time, like deuced out immediately. As soon as they heard, they were like, I'm out. And I like, (laughs) they had to kick me out because I didn't want to leave my team because I knew that we were only five people and we were losing two people. You know what I mean? So I knew that they were going to have to pick up the slack. So I actually stayed longer. You know what I mean? Where they were like, you know, they were like, thank you. But it was because I knew that, you know, it was, um, again, that lo- loyalty to the team and to the people versus the company. Because at the end of the day, I always say that people are should should think about this, again, in a sports analogy and be free agents. You know, and at any given time, depending on what's going on, like, you could be on the chopping block. So just always having an eye to that, not necessarily drinking too much of the Kool-Aid
1: when you're at Yeah. A-
0: the third word is probably... Um, you know, I would say believe, uh, belief in my team and having trust. So I would probably say trust, truthfully, but having trust in my team. Um, I always say I'm not a micromanager. You were hired for a reason. Uh, your reason is the big, beautiful brain in your head um, and your experience. And I trust that my team knows what they're doing. Um that I am just there as a potential Sherpa and cheerleader uh, to make them look good um and uh and advance their career any way I can. But really it's um trusting the people that, that you work with and the team that you work with. So
1: yeah, so I love committed, loyal trust. James, talk to me a little bit about that trust piece, because it's so interesting to me. As you were growing your career, right, it was kind of about being a superstar MVP, right? But then as a leader, you kind of have to stop doing those things. And as you said, you have to trust people. So how did you make that shift as you really became, you know, a leader, an executive to, like, be okay trusting that other people could do things um, instead of just doing it yourself.
0: Yeah. I think that the, the, I mean, well, <laughs> one of the easiest ways is when you actually hire the person, uh, yourself, but <laughs> when you when you inherit a team, I think it's quickly evaluating, you know, their strengths and weaknesses and, or their areas of development and then really kind of, um, kind of coaching, you know, to each person directly. And I think that through that interaction and when, when they feel that you actually have trust in them, they will go to the moon, you know what I mean? And and it's really empowering to see. And that's why it's like a a lot of the times you don't need to necessarily, especially if you have, you know, great seasoned, you know, veterans on your team um, with great experience that you don't necessarily need to, um, you know, manage as much as you just need to coach. Mm. You know, so I think that building that trust and as much as I can say, oh, I'm here for your career. I think it's it's a show and prove. Right. So it takes a little while as much as I'm learning, like I'm new to the trade desk right now, learning my team and getting that trust factor. And I think that it's one thing to talk the talk. Yeah, I'm here for you and all that stuff. But it's another thing to actually start looking at making inroads and doing certain things like, you know, career pathing and those type of things and asking certain questions personally about them that it starts to build that relationship. So I think that the trust goes both ways. So I always think that they need to trust me as a manager, that I have their best interests at heart. And then um, ultimately I need to trust them that they know what the heck they're doing uh, basically until proven otherwise.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, no, no, James, you talked about being committed, loyal, trust. Now, have those always been sort of tenants of your brand or has that evolved over time for you?
0: Uh, I think it's definitely evolved. Um, I think, you know, when I first got into the business, I was all about like, I just want to work for a cool brand. And, you know, it was all about the name and the kind of work I was doing and stuff like that. So I was a little bit more all about the company. You know what I mean? And that's what I was focused on, even though I got lucky in my first two jobs, you know, to work for an amazing team. You know what I mean? the people that were on that team, those teams were absolutely amazing. And I learned so much from them, but it was really about the company because when people started moving, like I had a director who did go on that right path and she went to digital, you know what I mean? When at ESPN and, you know, but it's like, um, even when it was, it was that I didn't, I still didn't go there. You know what I mean? I was like, no, no, I'm staying at the, you know, the core brand as it were. Yeah. Um, so I was about the company and I will say early on getting laid off at the second company at Viacom, really, that was what kind of opened my eyes. So I think that early days I was just like, if I can just get my foot in the door, I want to nose down, be the hardest worker again, starting to apply things that I applied to my sports world, which was, you know, doing more than the next person, you know what I mean? Mm. Staying late at practice and doing extra and always doing extra. And, um, you know, so my core tenants back then were being a hard worker, you know, building that, making sure that people knew that I was a hard worker, um, being a creative problem solver, um, you know, over time a strategic thinker, you know, an overall great colleague, and then truthfully an overall nice person. I mean, Mm. I think that, you know, in our industry, you know, it's so small that I think you know being a great person and having that type of and building that brand, which is something that I always tell um, young folks who are coming into the business, you know, building that brand of and and having the foundation, being at the core of it, you are a good person. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I, yeah. I think that that that's critical, and I it would be something that I hope that people would say about me if you know if asked about like James Lavalley. So.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because that's, that's almost like one of those point of differentiations, right? When we've yeah. been talking about like the slick sales guy mm-hmm. and, and how that old kind of sales mentality or, or persona was almost expected to be, you showed up as, as something that people could really trust and, and feel part in partnership with. Right. Yeah.
0: And I think that also to, to your point about like throughout your career showing up as an authentic person, you know what I mean? So I feel like, I feel like even though I've changed and, and, you know, like on my journey, I feel like at the core of it, somebody could point to the years that I worked with them at ESPN and be like, he ha- actually hasn't changed. Cause he's still a good person. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. and I think that that's, that that's
1: consistent throughput, right? Exactly.
0: Exactly. And I think consistency in that, you know, sometimes you can sit there and uh, there's certain people throughout your career that you, you start thinking about it, it as like, oh, yeah, when they got promoted, whoo, man, that went to their head. And they're just like, <laughs> don't pick up my phone calls and, you know, oh, we'll do lunch type of thing. And they, they give the old adage. But I think that hopefully, um, you know, I haven't deviated that far from my core of who I was back then.
1: Yeah. Now, James, I, I always love talking to people who are in sort of this advertising and marketing space because you work with so many brands mm-hmm. about how do they translate and, and build their brand across all of these multiple media channels, right? Yeah. So what are some things that you do or you recommend with your brands and, and your clients to build their brand that you think we could actually individually use to build our own career brands?
0: Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I think that it it is kind of one in the same. Um, The thing that I've always done throughout my career is, you know, in a, you know, quasi sales support structure, it is always wondering and making sure you're asking the question of the sales team and of the client, um, what they need, you know, Mm. what is it that you need? You know, what can I help you solve? And I think that for us definitely at the trade desk, that is like the, one of the core tenants of, 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 you know, the company itself is, is, you know, we work for the client, you know what I mean? We work in their best interest. We work to, you know, have them sell whatever they're selling, you know, to be the best that they can be. And I think that at every job I've been at, it's really served me the best when I've asked that question, like, what, what do you need? you know, what can I do? What does the team need? You know, what does the client need? Yeah. So I think that from a career standpoint, um, showing up and being that person that's like collaborative,
1: you know what I mean? Yeah. But James, I I love the whole notion of you as sales and marketing people are constantly asking the client, right? Like, what, what's the problem we need to solve? How can we support you? But we forget about doing that in our own career, right? It's easy to have like our own brand is like, this is who I am and I'm a star and I'm an expert at this versus really going in and being explicit and asking like, Hey, what can I help you with? Right. How yeah. can I support you? What are we actually trying to solve for? And then bringing your brand forward to to help. Right. Yeah.
0: And I've had a lot of, of um, conversations about that, especially as people are trying to shift into different areas of advertising, et cetera. And they're like, well, I don't have this background. I go, well, actually you do. You know what I mean? Mm. It's really looking at it and like shaping your background a little bit different. I'm like, I'll pull out something that they did. They're like, oh yeah, I didn't realize that that connected with that. And it's like making those connections in your career that makes sense to whoever you're presenting yourself to. Yeah. And It's um, it, it's one of those things where I think that people feel like whatever you write down on your resume or whatever's in LinkedIn is the story. And it is to an extent, but you have to shape and mold depending on the need that you're solving for at the company that you're trying to go to. Yeah, And I think that that's what people are a little bit, you know, they, they, they're like, nope, did my resume, never going to touch it again. And I'm like, you <laughs> might. You may need to change it a little
1: bit, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like showing the same advertisement to multiple audiences without changing it, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. That goes against the entire programmatic model. (laughs) It's like different audiences,
1: different resumes. So, you know,
0: it's it's hilarious. I will tell you a quick side note. So when I did, um, when I unfortunately did get laid off at Viacom, um, they were so gracious in regards to the package that they gave everyone. So it wasn't just James. It was everybody, right? Yeah. Because of the time that it was. It was right after 9-11. And so I had all this time off where I was just getting paid every two weeks as if I still had a job. And my wife at the time was like, well, is there a classes you wanted to take or anything like that? And I go, you know what I'd really like I always wanted to do? And she goes, what? And I go, I wanted to be a bartender. And she goes, what? <laughs> so I ended up <laughs> I ended up going to New York Bartending Academy. I got my bartending license and ended up being a bartender in, um, in a Brooklyn jazz club, you know, over, over there. And it was awesome. You, you want to talk about your multitasking abilities <laughs> in corporate America directly make you a better bartender. But, <laughs> but this is a long way of saying that when I actually had to put a resume together to be a bartender, I had yeah. to change it. You know what I mean? Mm. I couldn't just walk in with my corporate resume and be like, I worked at ESPN. They'd be like, great. Do you know how to make a drink? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So so that definitely taught me where I, I had to change up the resume depending on the job I was going
2: for. So yeah. again,
0: taking, taking stock of, of what that need is that you're in theory looking for and what they're looking for for you to fill.
1: Yeah. And how did you end up breaking into media and and TV?
0: So, uh went to liberal traditional liberal arts school. We didn't have any business courses at all. I didn't know what I wanted to do after college. Um, Like I mentioned before, we had some alumni who came and spoke to us who were from sports, right? And they were ex-athletes, but they all worked in the sports world in some way. And they were like, oh, they worked at Adidas and all these really cool jobs. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Maybe I could go into sports. Just so happened that um, a friend of a friend had graduated from an NYU program that had just started in their professional studies program. And it was a sports marketing role. Uh, certificate program. And so I went, you know, I had saved up money cause I thought I was going to go to law school. So I was like, had all this money saved and I moved to a basement in Brooklyn, um, for $300 a month. And people, <laughs> people actually walked through my apartment to get to their car. Like, so I had to like hear them coming down the <laughs> stairs and I had to like make myself <laughs> scare so that I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be inappropriate when I was walking around. But, um, but yeah, so I was in sports marketing 101 at NYU. And then the woman, um, my teacher happened to have somebody who graduated from the program who worked at ESPN. She put me in touch with with that woman who was a, an amazing black woman who worked at on the affiliate side. Yeah. And when she met me, she was just like, We got to get you in here. And um, and she was the one who was like, I don't even know what this department does. It's called integrated ad sales, something or other, (laughs) but I'm going to, I'm going to send them your resume. And this is the funniest, funniest part is that during my life, I, and this is, you know, it's hard for people to understand before LinkedIn and all these other easier ways to find opportunities and internships and whatnot, you have to like know somebody, you know? And I always bemoan the fact that like, again, I grew up in New Hampshire, my, my entire family's blue collar. Um, working at factories and construction and stuff like that, so I had no ins anywhere, and I was always like, "Oh man, I, I hate my hometown, and I don't, don't know anybody, and all this stuff." So I go to ESPN, and I'm interviewing, and the director at the time, she's like, "Oh, are you originally from from Brooklyn?" I go, "No, actually, I'm from you know the Boston area." She's like, "Where?" And I go, "Manchester, New Hampshire." She goes. I'm from Londonderry, which is the town next to mine. Wow. And I swear to God, that's what got me in. Like, it's, it's like <laughs> the most amazing thing. I was like, all this time, I'm like, I can't stand where I'm from. I don't know anybody. And she's like, somebody from New Hampshire. Oh, my God. You know, and, <laughs> and so that's, I, I swear that that's, that's what got me in. So it's it's kind of funny. I, I I love my home, my home state and my hometown where my entire family still lives.
1: So. Hey, it got you in the door. Right? It That's, what, that's it. what counts. So, James, a couple of fun uh, quick fire questions for you. Um, we've been talking all about your brand. What brand are you obsessed with as a consumer? What can't you live without?
0: Mm, gosh, that's a great question. I think I, I have a very big passion for travel. Mm. So I actually loved... Um, I loved SPG back in the day, but now I love Marriott Bonvoy. Ooh. And I think that, yeah, I think, well, they, they you know, they merged. Yeah. And I just love, you know, kind of, I felt like their advertising really spoke to me because I feel like, they really pulled out why I like to travel, which yeah. is really understanding the culture and seeing all these things, rather than like kind of a, a, a cursory like, "Oh, I'm you know going down a water slide or something like that." Yeah. So I feel like that brand always speaks to me, even to this day. Like I haven't gone anywhere in two years, like everybody else, and I can't <laughs> wait to start traveling again and dust off my passport. But you know, when I'm a sucker for like a picture and like, Oh, from, you know, Bali or from wherever they're coming in from. And I'm like, Oh yeah. But the, like I said, that brand to me is really, I, I love that brand. And yeah. it's, um, it's a, it's like a passion. I just love travel. So
1: I love that. Now, if you were a car, what type of car would James LaVallee be?
0: Ferrari. 100%. My favorite Ooh. car. Always loved it. Um, Speaks to my track days when I, when I was a runner, um, I was a middle distance person, but like 400, 800, which a lot of people would say is a sprint unto itself. Um, so I, yeah, Ferrari hands down.
1: And then finally, James, what's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners?
0: I would say no matter what industry you're in, realize how small the industry is Mm. and you know, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about. When you're when you're really starting out and you're thinking about building your brand, for one, be deliberate and strategic about building it and think about it. And I wrote down, like, I, I know it's old school to write stuff down, but I wrote down <laughs> on different flashcards and I put them up on a bulletin board at my house at the time in the basement in Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> it was kind of like my little mini vision board, but it was kind of like words that I wanted people to associate with my work yeah. and with myself. And, and I kind of always looked at those just to, to make sure that I was on that right path. Is he hard worker? Is he a good person? Is he, you know, like, um, a great colleague and a, and a great team member, etc. And because again, knowing that the industry is so small, know that there's one degree of separation. If I don't know somebody who's directly worked you know, at that company, I can call one person to find out, you know, and yeah. so I can find out anything I need to know about anybody, honestly, probably th- via one phone call. And LinkedIn made it even easier because now yeah. you can see who you're LinkedIn with. So it's it's kind of even easier than it was back in the day. So, you know, what do you want those people to say about you when you're not there? What 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 brand do you want them to speak? What are the tenants of your brand that you want them to say? you know, oh, this person's a hard worker, et cetera.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. But it, it's like, I love that it is all about how are we being deliberate as you said, right? Because showing up on brand is strategically around how do you get those endorsement deals, yep. right? Like okay. 1, how do you have these you people the there yeah. to endorse you, right? Yep.
0: Absolutely. I can't, oh, yeah, that's exactly the way I want to be endorsed by all those folks who you know have the have a lot more street cred than i did as a man
1: <laughs> <laughs> well james la it's been amazing talking to you thank you so much for being on the show
0: oh thank you jason it's been great catching up man i haven't seen you forever so i, really I know it.
1: and hopefully when we can travel again we will see each other soon
0: yes absolutely thank
1: you and thank we'll you. be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts
2: Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how.
1: Well, I don't know about you, but I just loved my conversation with James. You know, you could just feel his brand going through. And I love that his whole key notion was about being deliberate in Your brand. You know, the favorite thing that he said to me was that whole notion of early in his career is writing down, putting pen to paper and putting those words that he wanted people to remember him by. Now, you know, I talk all about creating brand attributes. And this is why you want to have your list of words that you know and desire people to describe you as. When you put those words down on paper, and in fact, I'm going to challenge you, do it old school. I want you to put it on Post-its. I want you to stick it on your wall. In fact, when I'm sitting in my workstation, I have my words like Hollywood and super connector and advocate and storyteller and showman. I have those all on Post-its where I can see them every single day. Because when you look at those words, you're constantly bringing yourself back to what are the actions and behaviors that I need to demonstrate on this call, in this meeting, doing this presentation that is gonna help people see me as those deliberately selected brand Attributes. Well, that's our show for you for today. If you loved our conversation with James, make sure that you are following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so that you get a brand new show every single Tuesday. And remember to check out our Lead With Your Brand Black Voices page where we are amplifying the voices of amazing business executives, leaders and innovators who just happen to be Black or African American. Check it out at Brand dot com slash Black Voices. Check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms, especially I share tons of tips and tricks on LinkedIn. And remember, in your career, are you coffee or are you a super premium brand like Starbucks?
2: You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.